BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to the Friend of a Friend podcast. It's your host, Olivia Perez. If you followed me outside of this podcast, then you're no stranger to this week's guest, Joe Holder. Joe and I met through a mutual friend in 2015 when I was looking for a new trainer. I immediately realized that Joe was no ordinary wellness enthusiast. His method went beyond just the physical, approaching wellness from a spiritual, holistic, and pragmatic viewpoint that makes me even regret calling him a trainer, but a life coach and a mentor of mine to this day. At just 29 years old, he's the founder of his own wellness company, The Ocho System, a Nike master trainer, the creative director of Wellness for Smart Water, a GQ fitness contributor, the director of performance and culture for Whoop, and a trainer to influential faces around the world like Naomi Campbell, Bella Hadid, and Virgil Abloh. Joe and I have also started a nonprofit together, System of Service, an organization aimed at galvanizing our communities and colleagues to give back by providing accessible and engaging service opportunities for organizations that we're passionate about. Joe's accolades and thought-provoking take on wellness have skyrocketed him as a face of modern wellness and captivated thousands of loyal followers who turned to Joe for everything from curing anxiety to working out on the road. In this episode, Joe and I talk about the key lessons to maintaining a best friendship and working relationship our dreams for making service an integral part of the human experience, and how a healthy dose of paranoia drives his success. Here's my friend, Joe Holder. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Per so many requests, I have the one and only Joe Holder sitting directly across from me. Not only was he 25 (laughs) minutes late to this recording, but he is sitting on his phone right now texting as I I say this to you. (laughs) So you know how late you were. 22. Okay. No you point. planned for this. Actually, I did plan for this. I showed up 10 minutes early so that I could like get myself ready. But then I was like, all right, I should maybe bring some snacks. <laughs> I could maybe watch a show in the time that I know Joe's going to be late. People apply too much time to things than is actually often needed, which I found. And it's probably just an excuse because I'm often late. <laughs> Do not try and like conceptualize the fact that you were just late. I was late, but I'm ready to hop in, you know? Okay. All right. One so, take, Jake. Okay. Tell everybody where you're from and where you live now. I'm uh, I'm Joe Holder. I'm from South Orange, New Jersey. I live in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. I'm about to move though, but here we are. Where are you moving? Not sure. Oh, <laughs> I know where. You won't tell anybody yet. It's okay. That's totally fine. <laughs> So give us your elevator pitch bio. I feel like, yeah, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) I hate being asked that question. So I need to ask you the same question back just because we have so many different labels. But like when someone asks what you do, what do you tell them? I say, what do you do? Oftentimes I try to deflect because it's hard to explain what it is that I do. But I just basically say, you know, I'm... um, I'm a health and wellness consultant that helps bridge the gap between, I guess, experience and thought. So, I mean, that sounds so ephemeral, but basically I say uh, I'm the founder of a wellness philosophy that I worked on while I was in college. And I do health and wellness consulting with, you know, various businesses that are looking to find the best way to activate, activate wellness while at the same time um, also doing various things, including being a writer and, and moonlighting as a trainer, I guess. And what does the other person say back after you say that? <laughs> Oftentimes I just go, oh, so you just train people all day? And then I'm just like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then, okay, that really sucks though. Because you do so much more than that. So I feel like it's a constant conversation that I hear you have with me and yourself about the fact that you like try not to just like be in the little box. I mean, people are archaic. Like people, humans like classification systems. But I was reading this one interview and one line that stuck out to me uh, was just basically, it doesn't matter what people call you, just be damn good at it. So 
I want to make sure I'm good, not just good, but great at it. And then I just consider myself an expert generalist. I say I have a skill set that I've honed throughout the years that's typically within the wellness sector that I like to apply to a lot of different areas. So whether that be writing, uh, whether that be the nonprofit stuff that we do together, whether that be training, whether that be work with Nike, whether that be work with Dyson, whether it be work with Smartwater, whoever that's with. Um, and I think that's the future because I never wanted to work for anybody in a standard sense. And then when it comes to the life that we have to live now, you got to be able to be flexed. So honestly, since you can't define me, that means I'm doing my job right. Let's go back a little bit because I feel like in order to get to that point, you have to do a lot of things that like you probably don't want to do to get to that point. Facts. Um, and that's like always the like overarching theme when I talk to people that are entrepreneurs now or run their own businesses. It's like, oh my God, I had this like horrible day job or like I struggled in college or something like that to get to that point. So you went to UPenn. What did you study while you were there? I uh, majored in sociology with a concentration in health and medicine, and I minored in consumer psychology, which is basically a marketing psychology hybrid. And you played football. Uh, yeah, I played football. You always talk about an injury that really changed your life yeah. um, and just the way that you looked at like health and wellness. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Situation? Yeah, yeah, of course. The injury was, uh, so yes, I played football at University of Pennsylvania. Growing up, I played uh, basketball, football, track. I'm sure Liv will ask about this later, but, you know, I grew up in a household that is very not standard, that helped me approach health and wellness in a different way. So going to college, um, I was a little bit of a knucklehead. I was a little bit of kind of like a meathead, uh, alpha male type guy. So it became a situation where, or what I thought was alpha male, it became a situation where I probably was training not the way I was supposed to. I was working a little bit too hard. School was stressful, but I hurt my ankle during spring ball. So spring ball is basically practice between in between the end of the season and the start of a training camp. Whereas it's like a little kind of short mini camp where, you know, you get together and have a better idea of what the team's going to look like uh, before the next year. And one of the first practices, I went up for a pass, a non-contact injury. If anybody knows who plays sports, it was often the worst. Took a step. I caught a pass. Ankle popped. Um, and it started to swell like crazy and I should have taken a break, but I thought I could come back soon. I should listen to my dad, but I came back soon and I thought I would, uh, should have. And the ankle just wasn't healing. I was trying to force my way playing through it. Um, so much pain. Um, and it became a chronic injury where I ended up having to miss the next year, uh, which really shook me up because I wanted to be able to fight through it, not just for myself and my teammates. And I couldn't, and it was still hurting. And I didn't know what to do. And I was doing a lot of things I shouldn't be doing as often an undergrad in a college should be when I was playing time, when I was missing playing a sport, partying too much, not studying enough, not going to class enough, not using really my, my relationship or friendships. And then it hit me one day. It was like, yo, you got to figure this out. I was coming back from a party, fucked up for lack of a better term. And it hit me that I needed to work back to heal my injury, but also just emotionally, I was not in a good place. I was in a very bad place. Um, and I tried to go to therapy. It didn't really work for me at the time, but I worked back with my dad basically and we came up with basically a system which eventually came, which was a kind of inspiration for the Ocho system to heal my ankle. And I did. And I was able to heal it and I was able to come back playing. Went through so much. And then my, this was my junior year. I was finally back. And then my fifth year, senior year, because I had a redshirt year, I broke my leg. Um, in the fourth game of the year, broke my left leg. And they told me I'll be out for the year, but I was like, nah, I'll be back in four or five weeks. And they're like, there's no way, Joe. Um, but then I was able to come back. I was able to come back because honestly, the body has a uh, amazing capacity to heal, which a lot of people don't talk enough about. Um, and there's just certain things that are kind of either unexplained or I think you could promote healing by. And I was doing all the little things, of course. I was doing the rehab. I was doing the standard drills that are needed to heal the body. I was resting, but I was also meditating very heavily. I was working back with my dad. He created a diet and supplement regimen. And mainly, I was really just preparing my mind for the pain um, that was going to come from me trying to come back and play on a broken leg to salvage my senior year. And I was able to come back and people were super surprised by it. And I thought that maybe I was on to something. So injuries, both bad and good. I want to say any injury is ever good, but it could turn into something good. It could teach you a lot about yourself. So those two injuries in college are very formative uh, for how I view wellness currently. Can you talk us through a little bit about the plan that you and your dad crafted to get better? Super crude. Yeah. One of them was I came home and I was like 212, 215. I was, I was fucking jacked. I was a meathead, baby. And my dad was like, but can you move? And he was just kind of looking at me from a body composition perspective. And he's like, you, you got to lose weight. Like you're not gonna be able to play this way. So we did. I have it somewhere. I have this written down somewhere in my house in New Jersey. But we sat there one day at the house 
And on a clipboard, we wrote up a plan, basically a nutritional plan first to help me like just lose a little bit of weight. And at a time, and what I realized is what it is now was just very strategic. I don't like to say intermittent fasting. I just like to say um, eating according to your circadian rhythm. And so we came up with that. That was the plan from there, from a nutritional standpoint. Uh, it was nothing crazy. It was just cutting out processed foods. It was moving away from the cafeteria foods a little bit, learning what it was like to be hungry again. So my body, that's when actually your body often repairs itself. From a mental standpoint, uh, a lot of reflection, some journaling, a lot of meditation. And then from a training standpoint, I kind of took that on more under uh, for myself. It was just more athletic-based, kind of athletic-based training instead of just strictly weight training like the football team was doing at the time. But this really exposed me to, to just the mental and emotional capacities of real life and how you need to really take care of yourself. Um, so that was big. And then strategic supplements here and there for like bone health, um, especially when my body was hurt. This might be like a tricky question, but I remember one day you and I were having a conversation and you... I feel like it taken a couple of years to like have this retrospective moment. You had looked at me and you were like, man, like football was really unhealthy for me at the <laughs> age I was at. Yeah. What we were eating, the way we were training. Do you yeah. think that is still, even though it's evolving and it might be getting better in, in like incremental ways, do you think that it's changed today? Football? Football is a tough sport. I think the athletes are getting a lot more educated in how to take their their health into their own hands. I think parents, just because football is more hyper uh, scrutinized, are also doing the same. Um, wellness is infiltrating the zeitgeist, as I like to say. Um, but I don't think you realize how valuable you are at such a young age. And that's where it just really comes down into, well, I'd like to say, like when we become the adults in the room, you realize how important it is to have actual adults when you're at those formative years. And unfortunately, I didn't. I had I had some, you know, I love my coaches to death, but the strength and conditioning coaches, I don't love one bit. But it also wasn't, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have, you know, done what I'm doing now. So you also need the people in the room to communicate. And I won't hold or hold back or mince words. Like we had some of the worst strength and conditioning coaches in the, in probably the country and we were just able to do well because we as a team would often stick together train on our own and we were just athletic and your body could put up with a lot but we weren't making the best uh, athletes so it becomes a situation where you need checks and balances in place to make sure that these kids are looked after well um, and that's what you see with the lawsuits against the NCAA because these kids are just often used like cattle but my opinion on football as a whole I still think it has its benefit. You know, it's it, it does a lot to the body. So I don't think long term people should be playing. But again, it connects back just to the general themes of when you have adults in a room, uh, they should be the ones that are making sure things are done in the best interest of the student athletes. That's where your dad came in, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Pops. Shout out to Pops. I met your dad. I'm going to tell the story. You did. Go ahead, tell I've it. told it a million times. <laughs> but I wasn't feeling well. And Joe was like, go see my dad. And I... Like, Joe and I have just, we just kind of became friends at that point. And I was like, what is going on? Where is he sending me? Keep in mind, I'm from LA. Like, getting on the train to go to Jersey was like a really foreign concept yeah. to me. Went to Joe's childhood home, met yeah. with his dad. And it totally clicked to me why your approach is so, not in a bad way. No, 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 no. But just why your approach is so specific. Like, I usually go into a doctor's appointment. It's an hour long and you're out. Your dad literally held me hostage for like six, seven hours. Yeah. And did an entire like body and mind analysis as to like some like a reason why I was feeling a type of way, um, whether it was like an actual health thing or if it was like a mental condition that I had like told myself yeah. I had. But growing up with a dad like that must have been really interesting because, you know, my parents were not like that <laughs> at all. What were some of the things that your dad, you know, like what was your relationship like when you were kids that you feel like has had an impact on you, who you are today and your, what your career is like? <laughs> It's a multifaceted question. That's a great question. Um, yeah, it was sick. You saw my pop. Shout out to Skip, who was there with you, RIP. Rest in peace, Skippy. What a good dog. But in a sense of with my dad is, he's very meticulous. It takes a longitudinal approach, which is the same way I like to approach my training. So with my clients, it's like, I only take on so many just because it's a journey. So a lot of people don't realize like they want to be fixed now, but the body didn't get to where it is now. So understanding the way that my dad works, even with just that intake process that he had with you, like you need a level of greater understanding, which I've realized in order to facilitate change. And that change is going to come 
slower than a lot of people think. And oftentimes they don't want to stick it out. But that's really what often like being an athlete is. So that's why I want, especially when I get athletes, whether they're, you know, amateur or pro athletes that want to train with me, like they're working towards a goal. And when you're working towards your health, which I've realized the same way what my dad does, my dad's been able to cure things that people said wouldn't be able to be cured. But it takes time and it often it takes buy in in the same way an athlete has to buy in. So does that patient. And that's not for everybody. But if you do buy in, which I've which I've seen, uh, you often see results. But my dad was my my first hero and my first hate too. But I love him to death. But it taught me also a lot about myself, also in my personal relationships, also um, in my romantic relationships. Just to seeing how hard he worked and sometimes the st- struggle that could take um, on your personal life. You know, I deal with the I deal with the same things. But then also seeing a holistic manner in which he approached healing because he's an MD. No shade to naturopaths out there. No shade to alternative doctors, but of being an MD, like he's actually schooled in, you know, the empiricism of what it means to be a doctor. But then he's able to couple that, you know, with his alternative theories and practices, um, which to me create oftentimes create best results uh, because you're flexed and you don't get, you know, lost in rationalism, but you actually understand its base foundations. So I've kind of taken that same approach to with my stuff too. It's like, yes, the fitness is important, but that's not the whole vision of what wellness is. So understanding from a very young age what a holistic approach is. And holistic is a little bit of a buzzword. What I mean is what is a well-rounded, horizontally integrated, multidiscipline approach? Because then you could, I like to call it obtuse goal attainment. If you take something from another area but understand that it can still connect to the goal that you're trying to accomplish, you often get there quicker. And I'm one of seven kids. And honestly, you can't just give allowance. You have to have a little bit of like a meritocratic system and we used to have a point system. So basically, we were rewarded for our ingenuity. So at a very young age, we had to think outside the box to get points to also get the things that we wanted. So to like go to Toys R Us, like a video game would be a certain amount of points. So throughout my whole life, I had to think of different ways to approach problems. And if those are often done better, I would get points. So if I rake the leaves in a more efficient manner, you would get some points. If you did something out of your way to like, Go help the community like you would get some points. And it's not to say you should be rewarded for all the things that you do, but it calls you to look at the world in a different in a, in a different way. Um, so that still um, continues to this day. But I can rave all and on about my dad. He's the man and he's changed the way that I think about the world. So from both in action to mindset, uh, wouldn't it be the same without him. He was my first coach. So I wouldn't I wouldn't have fallen in love with sports if it wasn't for him. So, yeah. Shout out, Pops. Shout out, Pops. I really want to talk about this holistic approach that you're talking about, just because, again, your approach is so specific. I, By the way, everybody, I learned for the first time, like, not that recent, but when you were like, oh, Joe's system is others can help one and one can help others, yeah. my brain exploded. <laughs> I was like, wait, Everybody's what? Everybody's like, nope, I don't know what people think it is. But I'm sorry, I thought it was your number on your football jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of has something to do with it, but like... Infinity is always, the number eight infinity has always held a special place in my life, uh, whether it has to do, I'm I'm not a big believer in numerology, but I am a big believer in, because you know, Liv, when I always want to disconnect myself and you know, when I do disconnect myself, you give me space, but like, that's not the healthiest thing for me. So it's helped me realize throughout my life, like, I'm just searching for a through line of connectivity that will always be there, even when I take the time to remove myself to hopefully make that a little bit better. But long story short, eight you know, it kind of looks like an infinity sign. So with that thought process, it's creating an infinite feedback loop of gratitude. And that's what the the acronym one can help others and others can help one kind of hints at. Because you take care of yourself, you should take care of yourself uh, so you can then go out and serve. And then this altruistic mindset, I think, makes everybody better off. Um, so that's really what it's grounded in. And um, fitness is just one, you know, component of the overall hierarchy. What do you think are your key pillars when it comes to Ocho System? Yep. What are like the three things that are however many things that you focus on the most when approaching a new client? Yeah, yeah. Great question. One, what do they want versus what do they need? Two, what, what's going on in the, in the rest of their life? And how can I make sure that their emotion, I'm there if they need to also support them emotionally um, and things of that nature. And then three, like what's individualistic to them? Like, cause a lot of the times people that I have trained are abnormal. I work with a lot of models as people know. Um, and I consider them athletes. Like people aren't built 
the way that they're built. Uh, and um, so it becomes situations where you, sometimes you have to be very, how can I be, again, like generally specific? How can I go, basically I go from theory to practicality and individuality. What's the overall theory? Can I make it practical for them? And how can I apply it to them on an individual one-on-one basis? But I want to know basically your emotional state, uh, your physical state, and then your base nutrition state. And then how can I get quantifying metrics uh, for, for each of those things? And typically you just have results come at least early on in my career when people just had buy-in and I was able to guide them through. But nowadays what I realize is what it really is, is like, I'm just a curator. Like I don't have that much time, you know, to see people all the time. I want to have people learn. I want to be your headmaster. Like I don't want a situation where you just come, like you could go to, if you would just want to work out, go to a class. You won't get, you probably won't get better. I mean, you'll sweat. You think you're doing something. But if you want to learn and you want to be guided, then you come to me. The world doesn't need another gym. If you're into fitness and you want to be another trainer, like, by all means, go for it. But I, in my opinion, the world doesn't need another gym. Like, that's not going to change public health. What the world needs are people to inspire individuals to take control of their health outside of the gym walls. And that's what I try to do. It was so funny. So I did a Q&A on Instagram before we did this, as Joe knows, and asked people to submit questions. And I can't tell you how many people responded with, how do I get rid of belly fat? (laughs) And I laughed. I laughed because I was like, of all things that you can ask in the health and wellness space, I think people are really still fixated on the stereotypical things of health and wellness. It's not their fault. I try to live life like a little meditation. So I'm always kind of looking around. I'm in my head, out my head. You look at these ads that often uh, gyms have whatever. It's a lifestyle. You have over-sexualized images. Uh, you have objectification of bodies, things like that. And I'm not approved by any means, but like wellness has to exist outside of just aesthetics. And then you look at magazines, six weeks to shredded abs. You look at whatever, uh, the best way to tone your butt. It's like, we, we, what, what message are we really trying to push? Well, for me, it's like a sound body typically leads to a sound mind. And the fact that people are writing in and they, that means they wake up every day and whether they realize it, that's on their mind. How do I, how do I get rid of belly fat? It's not a situation of how do I make healthy eating a daily habit? How do I make sure that I wake up with a non-anxious mind every day? How do I make it a habit to get activity? Not to go to the gym, but just to get activity. How do I make it a situation where I just care about myself a little bit more because that's what the gym should do. The gym should make you comfortable with yourself. It should be a place where you understand how your body could deal with stress, how you could push yourself to different levels. It shouldn't be a situation that, oh, I just want to get rid of belly fat because then it's then you approach from the situation there's something wrong with you. Instead, approach physical fitness and approach physical wellness from the standpoint of how can I make myself a little bit better but not for the sake simply of because I think, you know, I'm deficient in some manner. And I feel like a lot, but a lot of those ads are sensory and you're a realist. A lot, they're sensory? Yeah, like it's sensory overload for me. Uh, it's like, they're like, try, they use the buzzwords. They use like the images. Because like, they don't live it. Right, it's not realistic. Yeah, and that's what's sad is like a lot of people that are approaching it at, at a preaching wellness don't live wellness. That's why I got into writing and not to throw shots at anybody or whatever, but I got into writing and shout out to GQ for giving me the chance because what made me confused was the fact that the people who are, one, people are hitting me up to interview me for all these articles were also mincing my words sometimes. Not the best, not the writers, especially the ones that I'm friends with, but others mince my words, get paid, still mincing my words, and that's not the message that I want to put out there. Versus the situation, hold up, you're also not living a life in it. Like I'm in it every day. I'm not, I'm not a person that's in the gym and is simply just telling you how to work out through that. Or is this like showing you how to eat healthy because I'm in a kitchen shooting food all day. Like I'm trying to live life and make a living. Like I don't make a living off of my clients. I make a living from training because I just enjoy it. Like I just want to see, like a chef should be able to go in the kitchen and cook. That's not how I make my living. I make my living with other projects. So at the same time, I'm trying to do the exact same thing you're doing. So people think I'm working out all the time when that's really not the case. So what I realized is that we need it was like hold up if i am also theorizing on this also living it and the degree of separation is so minimal and i have a first hand insight into what people are actually struggle with and dealing with 
I should be writing about it because it gives a more real approach. So that's how I kind of, um, I just like to, I just try to be real. Like I know what people are struggling with because I've struggled in various capacities too. And I want to make it as easily attainable as possible. So that's my, my ultimate goal. And it fires me up because it's messed up. It's messed up what, what money does, what money does to things. So I want to like lower the barrier to entry, still keep it premium and high quality, but, but make it a little bit more attainable and accessible for everybody. You're not an optimist. Nope. But you're not a pessimist. Nope. <laughs> you're like part realist. You're very pragmatic. But I also think that there has, like people think of trainers or wellness coaches as people that are like, let's go, you can do this. Like, how do you approach a job where optimism is a big part of it? Yeah, no, you're right. You you hit it right on the nose. And you know, you, you I mean, if anybody knows I'm not an optimist, it's you. Just help me. <laughs> she releases our text messages. We, I definitely should not. Uh, Panama Papers. <laughs> uh, but, but basically, you know, I don't I don't put myself in the labels, but I often. All right. So first off, to explain what my viewpoint is, it's not that I'm not an optimist. It's just that I think I am a humanist. I'm a pragmatic humanist, which is all to say. I believe in the inherent good of people. I believe that humanity skews towards goodness. What happens with people that are overly optimist or somebody that always sees overly positive thinking, let's say, one, it's a trick because your brain thinks you've actually done something when you constantly think positively, when you constantly think like, well, we're going to do this, we're going to be able to get it done. And you constantly think about what's been done without doing it. There's a difference between that and visualization, right? So in terms of I want the best outcomes. So I pragmatically think that the best things will occur. But if there are roadblocks that are in my way, as people know, I'm a fan of uh, mental contrasting. It's that if you only just think positively, when a roadblock comes up, you don't know how to deal with it. So I like to be pragmatic. I like to say, all right, I'm going to I'm going to work. You you don't wish you work to make sure the best things happen. If there's certain things that pop up, this is how I do with it. This is how I deal with it. This is how I get around it. This is how I'll be better. But I never think negative things are going to occur. I'm not, you know, as melancholy and pessimist as I once was. But I just like to say I like to strategically, uh, strategically strategize to be redundant about how to make the best things happen by while, while still having a pragmatic uh, view that helps me understand that I'm going to have to apply and work to make sure. And a little bit of low dose of paranoia, I think, is very healthy because you don't worry. You're just a little paranoid because if you're a little paranoid. Then you think of of uh, very of all the possibilities that have a likelihood of occurring. And it's like I like to say, you always have a anti person in your group. And since I'm not always around people all the time, I need an anti person in my head that will say that even if I have ten people agree. And this is a good thing to have with your board of directors, with your friends. Ten people may agree. You you designate one person to say why this might not work. And then from there, you could troubleshoot. And I say that increases the likelihood of, of success occurring. So I like to be a little bit more even keeled that skews towards positivity. But overly positive thinking is one of the most destructive, uh, most destructive things that our generation does. What are you paranoid about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I'm scared of I'm not I'm not parent. All right. I'm not scared. But like I have to hunt to eat. The rug could be pulled out at any time. At any time. I don't wake up and go to work. I don't. I, the, my thing is this. The faster you as fast you become relevant, the faster you become irrelevant. And that's one of the things I say to myself every day. I look myself in the mirror. And, you know, I give myself some some positive feedback, not because I like the way that I look, but honestly, for a long time, it was very hard just for me to look at myself in the mirror to like see the reality of me existing in the world and facing my fears. And every day, a lot of us wake up and do that, at least in our profession. Others can live mindlessly. But if you have to wake up and face your fears every day and go after what's yours, I think it's important to like recognize your 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 reality, like your embodiment of your values, which is you living so then I'm paranoid a little bit about the fact that one day it could all be removed, but you still have to work hard to make sure that might not be the case. So you don't worry. You're just like, OK, you know, another day, another chance to get up and get it. You know, another day, um, you know, not necessarily to be great, but just be, be just be a little bit better. But I used to approach it very kind of systematically. Now it's a little bit more fru fluid, more like an art form. But again, I don't want to look back and say I almost had it. I don't want to look back and say, yo, Liv, remember, you know, in 2019 when we were so close, when, you know, the system of service shit almost popped off, when, 
you know, we were feeling great. The worst case is to be somebody that almost had it. So I don't want to be a shooting star. I like to say every year for me is a max contract year. I'm a, you know, I'm a sports guy. And you look, if you look at the history of sports, there are a lot of people that had one good year and then all of a sudden disappeared. But they had, they got a max contract. But life doesn't really work like that. So at the end of the day, even if you kind of get a contract in life, that could still be revoked. So you don't want to just have one good year. But there are a lot of people in the league. Everybody thinks they got to be LeBron James and Michael Jordan. There are a lot of people in the league with very long careers that may have just been role players, but they were fucking great or whatever the role that they had to do. So it's that you don't have to always, you just be consistent. Be consistent every day and make sure. And the paranoia comes from me not being able to live up to these gifts that I've been given. And if I don't do that, because I really do want to make the world a better place, if I don't do that, then I failed. But you've had an amazing year. I had a good year. There's a lot to celebrate. Like you've done, you had an IKEA campaign. Yeah, multiple. Creative director of wellness at Smartwater. Yes. Did I get that right? Yeah. Whoop. Whoop. GQ. GQ. Let's talk about GQ because there was actually something that you said in an interview a little while ago that really was so interesting to me. You said creative capacities go hand in hand with sport, which I think is so, to me, like those are two totally separate things. But I feel like you as an athlete, especially this year, you've been more creative than ever. And you've brought in so many elements like of your creativity into sport that like I would have never thought of. Yeah. I mean, first off, why don't you think that? Um. Because, okay, but I'm not a good athlete. No, 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 no but you know, why not? not what, what I'm, you? I'm just like not athletic. You, okay, I'm also biased though. So I grew up dancing. Dancing's to me extremely artistic and creative. If someone threw me into like a soccer game or a basketball game, like I was really rigid. I didn't know what to do. Like I wasn't, that wasn't where I felt like I could be artistic and creative. I felt like I was just following a playbook. But what's your sport now? Keeping Joe Holder in line. <laughs> that too. That is that is that is a sport. Sport. My life, sport girl. is like living in New York. It's life. Like, it's a sport. And you don't think you don't think your creative capacities and taking care of yourself go in line with that? What are you doing? You started a podcast. You've written for Forbes. You've done so much stuff. System of service. You've had a good year and you've killed it too. And it only on the only on the up. It's only continuing. And the thing what I'd want people to realize is like the modern day athletes is you is the modern day athletes are the creatives the modern day athletes are people that wake up every day and want to go into this arena of life and be a little bit better so when i say that like creative capacity of sport go hand in hand interesting thing read today and i'm a big believer in sport and movement impacts the brain above everything else 15 minutes of a light jog you know enhances exercise snacks, exercise snacks enhances creative capacities um your body and brain have a have a there's there's a dualism that we always want to promote but they go hand in hand um there's synergy they're one and the same so what's often good for one is often good for the other so that's why i look at it like i've seen creative uh the creativity has infiltrated sport um and even the thing you came in is to aspen like the way i view sport and activities here has de- definitely changed like i wouldn't say at the start of the year i wouldn't tell you that i'd implement like Bauhaus design theory into my workouts. That's what it is. So yes, creative capacities in sport are one and the same. Take care of your brain, take care of your body, and you'll be surprised at the outputs that you can make. Do. I really loved your first, like the first announcement article for GQ was like, meet Joe Holder, (laughs) the creative director of your better self. (laughs) That is what it was. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. You want to hear something crazy? You want to hear what happened? Why I chose that thought? Yeah. Two things. Uh, Verge will probably get annoyed at this just because I'm like his annoying Shut little up, brother. Verge. At the end of last year, I was going through a really tough time. And as you know, and this is why I think everybody at the end of every year should take a wellness audit. But that's a story for another day. But I took, uh, uh, Verge was probably like December 21st. He was DJing World out in LA. I was out there, trained him. And, you know, last session of the year. And he told me, he asked me what I wanted to do the next year. And I told him, um, which I've been think I was thinking about for the past four or five years because nobody knew how to really talk about me. I was like, I want to be the creative director uh, of modern wellness. And he was like, shit, that's crazy. Like you have to go out and define that. So every day from that point on, I was like, I want to define exactly what that means. Creative director of your better self. And what I realized was going into a gym every day and the people I was working with, I was realizing they weren't actually getting all the things that they needed to be successful. And then something that really sat with me was the fact that we live in a very uh, hyper, 
um, we live in a very hyper output oriented culture instead of viewing things as a slow burn. So art, for example, uh, very inspired me. I'm not artistic at all, but looking at yourself as an art versus a product. So when you're creative directing your better self, you give yourself a little bit more room now when you say, I'm an ever growing art form. You know what I mean? Like I can ever update myself, not because something's wrong with me, but because I've been able to now learn a little bit more <laughs> to improve. So it becomes a situation. And if I could learn a little bit more to improve myself and, and orient my craft accordingly and apply that for different things that I've learned, I'm creating a better piece of art. And only one person has to find value in art for it to be worthwhile. If one person buys a banana that has duct tape on it for $125,000. Okay, that shit was crazy. But it, some one person found it valuable. Now, for a product, that wouldn't work. But as an art form, it does. So I want you to find value in yourself and right. apply that every day. So be a creative director of your better self. I just like to say, I'm out here in the trenches with you. I am. I basically want to be a curator, a little bit of a teacher, a little bit of a headmaster that says, hey, I'm exploring these things. Maybe certain of these things will work for you because at the end of the day, we are kind of a constant push pull against ourselves, who we who we want to be and who we're just kind of uh, confined to being able to the corners and accepting of like our lesser selves. So there's nothing wrong with you, but it's like, yo, if you could be if I could help you be great, why not? I don't want to take care of myself just to like feel I do. I wanted to do it to like feel well, but like I feel like I don't get the opportunity to like learn that much anymore. And that Whew. facts. Yeah. Like that shit kills me. Yo. It real. I hate that learning and new experiences needs to be reserved for like your childhood and like your younger years. Like I want to feel good and like go and like work out every morning, whatever, feel healthy. But like all those things are important to me. But like right now, self-care is about like carving out the time to like make space for something new, whether it's like reading a book and learning something new, learning a new craft, yeah. cooking, yes. whatever. Yes. But, like, the idea of, like, bringing in something new to my life is, like, what is so exciting to me right now, and that's, like, what makes me feel good. Yeah. I mean, first off, when we when we going to cooking class, what's up? Oh, you want to go? I've been wanting to go to cooking class for years. Oh, yeah, you're right. But you and I talk about this all the time. We're like, why the fuck did we have to go to school when we were kids and no one cared? Like, I would love to go back to school right now and, like, learn all over again when I actually, like, appreciate it. Two things here. One, agreed. I was texting my friend this morning. I was like, yo, like, I just want to learn all day but not go back to school. Like, yeah. I would love to just sit in a room and read. But this is the thing, too. Create your life syllabus. And what I've realized is how am I able to get more stuff done? Not just for the sake of getting stuff done, but actually having a good time doing it. Like, yesterday I was up at 2 a.m. I went to sleep early, a little bit early. But I was up at 2 a.m. And I was like, you know what? I'm up. I'm going to live. I'm going to do what I got to do. I had so many things to do. And but when you break up your day, like a class schedule, when it says I'm going to give an hour and a half to this, I'm going to give a little bit of time to just free thought and leisure. I'm going to apply myself to learning this. We have to you are now both the student and the professor. So you could set up if we could set up environments for learning and then again, get us to live life in a different way, which I think I think that's special. That's all that I want to do. I want to have people perfect their craft. I want to have people learn, introduce themselves to new things like I can't play an instrument. I want to know. Instrument. I know. Just sit like that. It's just like I just like I'm trying. I'm focusing on this right now as like a rebellion to like like output culture. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to constantly be putting things out. I want to like absorb a little bit. Like, learn. Life yeah, is at, like, uh, we're hit with so much stimulus yeah. every day. Stimuli. You got people uploaded on the Twitter, Instagram stories, TikTok. I mean, Twitter is fire. I actually <laughs> don't know how you're on Twitter all the time. And like, you don't even respond to my text. It's really weird. <laughs> he like finds a way to like have a fire push Twitter. But like, uh, that also, can you guys believe this? He doesn't get notifications for anything. <laughs> he has to actively go and seek the attention <laughs> that he's getting from the world. I don't, I'm, I'm I just good. think that's crazy. Um, but yeah, it's just like, what if you just took the time to absorb and learn? And Facts. I, the internet's changing our brains so profoundly. It's like, you need to take the time to learn a little bit more. Like what? Google should just be an extension of our neural connections. But find out what makes you happy. Like, I challenge you this year to... to to dedicate yourself to between one to four things that you want to learn more about. I want you all to know that Joe just said Google should be an extension of your neuro. No, it shouldn't. 
Oh, I was neural, like, dude, what? No, no, because it's where it's attached. Then it becomes we don't got to think. We just it's our neural connection. It's true. So a lot of people go to the gym to like escape or like that's their like time off. That's their time like just for themselves. You like low key hate working out. Don't lie. <laughs> so like, what do you do? Like, what's the thing that you do every day that's for you? You force yourself to work out so you can run marathons. Shit. Don't lie. Uh, I mean, my thing is, is just like I don't. I, I think people think I love working out. I won't say that I do. I like, I deal with like pain issues, but I, I my uh, emotionally too, you know, Liv? But, uh, <laughs> um, but I just think work, I, I mean, it's a privilege to be able to move my body. So I like to do it. But what is the thing that I do for me? That's a great question. I mean, I've been loving meditation lately. Yeah, I've like, you're I've super like, in it. Yeah, I've like fallen in love with it in a different way. Like before, it was mainly just a situation to, I don't know really what it was before. It was like moment of peace, moment of things here and there. But I've been going to meditation class, been taking breaks throughout the day. Um, and it's been really helping me a lot. Like the past three months, I've been in, in a, there's a couple good, I've been using Insight Timer, Stop, Breathe, Think, uh, uh, State Shift. I've just been in a better mental head state. So that's kind of what I do for myself. Um, what do you think about when you meditate? <clears throat> nothing. I mean, you don't try to actively think about nothing. You just allow the, you just try not to fixate on anything. So you allow the thoughts. Sometimes, some certain days I'll have a mantra. Um, I've been meditating a lot on forgiveness lately. Forgiving myself, forgiving. It's all right. It's going to sound crazy. You want to hear something? I mean. <laughs> so in a meditation class that I went to, and again, meditation doesn't have to be super esoteric. Just think of it as stillness of the mind and the ability to move your body are two of the greatest gifts. Um, sat in meditation class. <clears throat> Something made me look up this studio. So I went, pulled up late class, sat there in the back, um, you know, had my hoodie on and closed my eyes. And I hit a, I hit a little bit of a trance, a very deep moment. And I... College, as you know, was very hard for me. And I saw my college self and I looked at my college self and we had a conversation with each other and I forgave myself. I, I think I started to cry in the class. I forgave myself. I was like, it's basically OK. Like, I understand what you went through. You had nobody at the time, really, or maybe you weren't listening that let you know that it's OK. And it's all right. Like, I probably think I, if things would have went differently, like I'd be in the NFL or be, have a different life. But I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to hold that against my younger self anymore. It's okay. Went through that. And then in the class, right after I did that, the meditation teacher goes, now I want you to pitch, picture your younger self and forgive them. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> that is really fucking crazy. crazy. But then on uh, Inside Timer, I was taking a class on forgiveness. Um, so that was super big for me. But then when I meditate, I just, because I'm constantly going, hopping in out so many different things, I just give time to examine thoughts that may come into my head. And then if they don't matter, just kind of let them go, let them diffuse and just get, uh, just know how my body feels in stillness. Do you feel like you're a very resentful person? <sighs> it well, It's become a a positive practice for me to offer forgiveness, um, not just to myself, but to others, whether that be professional relationships, romantic relationships. The human condition is very befuddling and I can't hold, I, it's, uh, I feel hard. I, I'm a feeler, but I can't hold that against anyone or I can't hold that over myself. So it's not really resentment, but it's not even contentment. It's, um, it's absorption. So it had, it, more so meditation has taught me to shed, to release, to feel lighter, to and and but not to remove those lessons, to continuously live with those lessons. The past two years have been hard. The past two years have been hard romantically. They've been hard uh, physically. They've been hard professionally. So you have to constantly, the body repairs itself, but only if you give it the things that it needs. So that's what you see with workouts. That's what you see with diet. But like oftentimes we don't do that mentally. We don't do that emotionally, especially as men. So my thing was doing that with myself and also understanding that then I could bring my friends or therapists, et cetera, into the fray once I have that conversation with myself. Like, I love you. To, I love you to death. But it's oftentimes in the past, it wouldn't be fair. It's not fair to you for me to completely download on you without, uh, you know, accepting first how I feel about the situation. And for, it became a situation where I had to... um 
I had to basically like externalize from myself to to come back to myself. One thing I've always admired about you and like so much about what you just said is as a man who lives in a metropolitan city, also quite a public figure, as an African-American man, you have always given yourself the space in every forum to show your emotion. Yeah. And that's not common and also yeah. not very accepted. Yeah, I mean, I have a, I mean, I have a bracelet that says "Sad Boys." It's just like I, um, I, I used to run from it, and then in the past few years, I thought said to myself, I have to accept my oddities for who it is that I am. I have to accept that as a kid, I was a little bit, you know, as my parents say, a little bit overly anxious. That I am intense, but I'm sensitive. And the thing is, is what changed my mind was that I don't know who recommended this book. I don't know how I found it, but it was a book on kindness that talked about the concept. It's literally called on kindness. Yeah, literally. Yeah. That is uh, basically a treatise on kindness and how its thought process changed throughout the years. And basically how the highest form of basically not just manhood, but oftentimes of personhood is vulnerability. And it's, and it's understanding the full capacities of who you are as a person. And in the same way, you can't be a great athlete unless you are open to criticism, if you are open to improvement, if you are open to understanding how you wholly feel. So then letting those emotions distill and then drive you in a different way. You can't cope with the human condition if you don't come to terms with certain aspects of yourself. So you have to be open. You have to be real. There's literal studies that show like the constant internalization of negative messages ages populations specifically black males faster so if i'm out in this world and i luckily i don't have to live it as much but there are people that are constantly bombarded with negative messages just simply by their existence okay and that is this isn't like hearsay like it's literally aging them faster because oftentimes there are not high quality either coping mechanisms emotional mechanisms and more importantly the culture at large has created a power structure that literally kills you because there's negative attitudes that are pervasive which then infiltrate your actions so that you're not doing the things to take care of yourself and next thing you know you're done but if I can't come to fully in terms of my emotions I then I can't come to fully in terms of my actions and then I'm not the author of my life story so please uh, people especially men and especially black males uh, take care of yourself it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to be a sad boy but a sad boy is not because I'm always sad the sad boy is understanding that and if I do not understand my full realm of emotions, and sometimes I skew towards sadness, then I can't fully be who I need to be. Pivoting a little bit, back to the Q&A I did on Instagram, I, so many people asked me, like, how we met. <laughs> and I think we can also pivot to talk about system of service a little bit here and Gang. talk about what we're up to. Um, but yeah, so many people wanted to know how we met. And great question, how we maintain a friendship when we're both <laughs> so busy, which is such a weird question. We actually don't like each other. Dude. We love each other. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, but Joe and I met through a mutual friend, um, Hannah, who is actually episode one of this podcast. Shout out, Hannah. Hannah B, um, mommy. <laughs> um, and Joe trained me, and I kind of hated him when I first met him. <laughs> so it always goes. Um, but then we just became really good friends, and now he won't even make time to train me. Um, but that's okay. I, I, get I mean, it. I always got time. You've been in LA. Whatever, dude. It's but fine. yeah, we just, I think Liv and I just hit it off because. Uh, we started to end up in the same places a lot, but we also realized like these places didn't define us. So, yeah, facts. Yeah. That's great. So we had we had a mutual understanding there. That's definitely true. Yeah. And I feel like I would always give you the look and be like, he knows what I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 For sure. Crazy. Yeah. It's really crazy. Yeah. But I actually really liked the question of like how do we maintain a friendship when we're traveling and busy? Because I actually find you and I talk about maintaining and fostering healthy relationships whether it's like our own or like that of other people's a lot. Yeah. Um, Joe and I were just like on a trip with a friend of ours who travels like 300 days out of the year. <laughs> and the first thing we wanted to both ask her was like, how do you have friends? Yeah, Maybe that's because like Joe and I are secretly lonely. Who knows? <laughs> but like we are both really curious about that. But I don't know. How do you think like what's been the biggest navigation tip to maintaining our friendship when you and I are usually not in the same place? We... We, when we are in the same place, we make time for each other. True. So I think it's very important. Uh, you have a sixth sense about me. That's true. You know when something's wrong. <laughs> and like, and you're, you were also the type of friends that could go very long without technically talking to each other, but know that nothing has changed in relationship, which is uh, crazy. Um, but also, I mean, we check in on each other. We say like, 
we check in to see how each other is doing. We have a deep, we have more than a superficial understanding of each other's lives. So even the shit on like Instagram or social still know the deeper stuff. So honestly, the easiest way to maintain a relationship is to hit people up and ask them how they're doing without wanting anything in return. And don't hit people up and say what's up and then immediately ask them for something. Um, just, I just really, I'm like, I need nothing from you. I just generally honestly care about how you're doing as a person. And then this is something that I had to get used to doing. I don't like to be on the phone. So I had to learn to call, okay. <laughs> call Olivia, call her. I thought you were going to say something different, but I guess I'll say it. <laughs> FaceTime. Uh, That's true. That type of stuff. Bring, you know what? Like, we are such digital people these days. Like, I appreciate human like a real human like voice. It's actually like why I started this podcast to be honest. Is like I didn't want to read no offense to your GQ column. I yeah, fucking love yeah, yeah. it. But like I wanted to like hear people's voices and I like hear it from them and like yeah sure like we edit some things out because the podcast would be really long if not. But like I want to hear your story from literally your mouth unmanufactured. Facts. And that like like the same way I want to like hear you on the phone and be like what's up dude? Yeah, that's real. I mean yeah and then honestly you just show up for your friends yeah. like Liv has some shit in Toronto. Pulled yeah, Joe up for, came. got on a flight. Okay, My now thing he's also, about to like get nah, mad at me. No, no, for no, 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 no. I wasn't gonna bring it up. You're gonna bring it up. Okay. But that's what I do. Like with friends that I don't, that you don't really see all the time. A lot of the times, people um, support your friends. Like whatever. Like if somebody has something, I'll get on a flight and support them. It's like, true. And it's not even because a lot of people think I'll do that from whatever friend. It's, it's not a situation where I'm sure a lot of people just do it to like chase clout. But I just I do it because I love my friends like whatever. Naomi recently got an award in London. I told her I would be there. I pulled up for her. Uh, you know, whatever. Virgil's DJ in Coachella has some shit in the noise. Pull up like Ben Edgar has some stuff going on. I'll pull up. Liv has something. Uh, whatever. Ariel, K-God, Georgia, whomever. If you are my friend and you have something that is going on. I, strangers shouldn't be the ones supporting your friends. It's true. Check in on your friends, support your friends, pull up. And because at the end of the day, a lot of your friends have gifts that they are p going out and putting out in the world. And all you could, the best thing that they would want sometimes is just to see a familiar face. And that's all. And I don't like to put a burden on any of my friends. So I oftentimes don't even tell them the things that I'm doing. I know, so I, like, it's like <laughs> he's asking for me to fail. It's, it's insane. But like, that's, all, that's how you maintain relationships and friendships. My favorite thing you've ever said is the smartest people are the people around you. Yeah. Or the brightest minds are the ones that are the people that are around you. Um, it really just changed the way that I thought about just my friendships and the way that I like share information with friends and get their feedback and um, just find my own like sources of inspiration. It was, I, I don't know, it's my favorite uh, thing. Like, when was the last time you've asked your friend how to do and actually meant it for everybody out there? And honestly, this is why we started, half of the reason we started System of Service because we wanted to create in real life communities where people could come and learn and, and connect, yeah, connect with people sure. and be able to let their guard down. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean. I feel like, I'm trying to think my response to that question. Um, I think it's really important to know your friends and not, like, put them in a box and, like, just expect them to be, like, what you're—I think a lot of people have a problem when they, like, have a friend and they expect that friend to be the way they envision them to be and not the way they really are. Mm. And I think being, like, one of your best friends for, like, four years now, holy shit, um, I've, like, learned a lot about you, and I know— I know what sets you off. I know when you're in a bad mood. I know when you're in a good mood. And like, I think it's really important to actually like, if you care about your friends and they're close people to you, like you need to cater to your friends, like the ups and downs of your friends. Like yeah. that's just the way it is. Like you can't expect them to be the way that you want them to be all the time. Like you now know that I'm an extremely sensitive person and you can't just text me asking for something. You need to say good morning. How, hi, how are you before you do say anything? Like, I am just that way. Like, do not send me a text at seven in the morning and be like, like, what's, where's this? Or like, blah, blah, blah. I'll be like, hey, how are you? Good morning. It's great to hear from you. I hope you're having a beautiful day. Like, Joe and I have so much fluff text at this point because he knows I'm so sensitive. So it's like so much about, in my opinion, like if you have real, real close friends, like, it's just knowing them and, like, knowing how, knowing the things that make them tick. And, like, you both need to cater to each other. Agreed. Yeah. Cater to you. Sierra, I believe. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. 
Joe's clearly resentful of the fact that he has to say like, hey, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. <laughs> he I puts like a million emojis. He's I like, hi, don't bite my head off today. <laughs> <laughs> it's because Liv's always the one asking me for some because I'm always late for, with some. 150%. Sorry. Um, but let's talk about SOS a little bit. So yeah. we got a lot of, I got a lot of questions about where we're at now, what's next, um, which I think Joe and I are also like very transparently like in the process of figuring out um i always want to be honest about like that when it comes to like starting new businesses i feel like people think think it's all like great and cool but like joe and i are like dealing with like forming uh like we're like literally emailing lawyers (laughs) and like figuring out how to do things that like feel meaningful to people um that also like revolves around like our work and travel schedules and like that's hard but we're excited to be doing it and figuring it out as we go but we started it about we had the idea i feel like about three years ago yeah um and like finally got it off the ground we actually had our one year anniversary you didn't even say happy anniversary to me really (laughs) yeah when was it (laughs) (laughs) like three weeks ago time is a social construct yeah okay um (laughs) do you think that when you showed up 25 minutes late today Ah, Um, cat but yeah really looking forward to figuring out more ways I would love for SOS to be something that, like, people can rely on as something that, like, happens every month. That people know that they're, like, walking into a room with a community of people that they love and they're going to give back and do something cool. You also posted something that I love, um, or maybe you talked about it in an article recently where you were like, every time you go somewhere, try to do something for the community and the place that you are. And I feel like that also is, like, such a big theme of SOS where it's, like, we not only want to, like, create the space and, like, a platform for people to come and give back, but, like, we want you to like, take that into your everyday life too. Yeah, I think service service should be a value that's naturally integrated into the infrastructure. So that's what we try to do with the events. Like we just show up and giving back should be easy. So a lot of times time is more valuable than money because your actions through time can change the cultural narrative. Like culture is created by us. You only have so much money. We work so hard. Like you only ask people to give so much. But if you could put pressure on the the way the world operates through service and to realizing that there are people around you that need help too. But then it's like, hold up. Let's go a little bit deeper and understand why these problems are prevalent. Then that's how we get involved and actually make the shifts. Because like, you know, Liv and I have worked and uh, we did something with Food Bank NYC. We've done stuff with Nike. We've done stuff with Smartwater. 2020 is going to be crazy. This stuff is dicing. But then we think about it. Okay. It feels good. We're doing these canned food drives. We're we're getting money to donate uh, to. We're making we're making a dent in hunger. But then what's crazy is the fact that all right, uh, there's actually a multi billion dollar national uh, food pantry uh, network, and people are still hungry. Why is that? Forty the people that go and get food or are in food emergencies, forty plus percent of them are actually working. Okay, why is that? So then you get a little bit more inquisitive because you've actually been trying to help all these people. And you're like, well, if that's been the case, like, why isn't there a living wage being paid so these people that are actually working can afford to live? It becomes very befuddling. So it removes that layer that helps you understand, all right, through my actions, I will help those around me. But there are also other actions that could totally nip this in the bud and hopefully make the world a little bit better place. And we also do realize to me, like, companies and brands are faster moving governments. So luckily, you know, Olivia and I have some great uh, partnerships and some great uh, relationships with companies that actually want to make the world better, not really just do lip service to it. And that's how, you know, we should be holding, uh, we should be holding fire to these brands that we support to actually have not greenwashing, but like true CSR and philanthropic initiatives. Um, And through our purchase uh, behaviors, through our actional behaviors, um, that's what we want to push through SOS. So, 2020 is going to be our year. Science still delivered. Year. Yeah. And every year after that. When he says science still delivered, I hope you mean it's like a lawyer thing. And we can like stop emailing. <laughs> Legal Zoom. Legal Zoom. This episode is brought to you by Legal Zoom. Oh, God. I mean, to all the people that are out there trying to get something off the ground, I commend you. Yeah, we get you. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, but thank you to everybody that's like come to events and supported us and like asked questions and been curious and like wanted to get involved. That's like a really cool feeling. And it's like super inspiring to know that there is a community of people that want to give back and like want to hang out with us too. Worldwide <laughs> this year. Worldwide. Speaking of 2020, what are some of your goals for 2020? So I take an end of the year audit, which I'm about to go on in a couple of days to really examine this stuff. Joe literally says to me at the end of the year, he goes, okay, I'm leaving for three weeks. And I'm like, cool, where? He's like, yeah, no. (laughs) I'm like, 
Okay. <laughs> Sare, chale. Um, but 2020 goals is really, uh, you know, 2020 Pyrex vision. What are my goals for this year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2020 this year? <laughs> um, solidify, like, my media infrastructure. Like, figure out the best ways to get uh, information put out there. Um, get a system of service off the ground. Uh, figure out something to do. Also, just more in real life activations, I guess you could say. Uh, but it's really just to build upon... This is what we always have to think that we have to make new goals, but we could also just build upon the framework that we that we have taken the time to put down with with previous things. So for me, it's really just solidifying all the hard work that went into 2019 and like making it real. Like I have a lot of support that is backing me. So now just want to and people that believe in me. So now it's really just focused on not letting them down simply because not from a sense of worry again, but just because if I could do it, why not? So, you know, maybe I'll get a book deal this year. That'd be a cool goal to hit. Um, just want to do things that are real, you know, get more workouts out there for the people. Figure out YouTube, maybe. Everybody tells me to get on YouTube. I'm not going to get on TikTok, but maybe I'll get on YouTube. Just what are your no. goals? Um, I'm so about, so like I always put myself on this like pedestal with resolutions where I was like, I'm going to work out and I'm going to eat healthy and blah, blah. And I, about a month ago, I was like, actually, you know, I'm going to do this thing where it's like, what are your goals for the next like month? Yeah, it's not realistic Break for it me. Down, class yeah, schedule. I couldn't do it. Syllabus. I can't like the resolution thing really freaks me out. It's so, like at the beginning of December, I was like, I'm going to like start working out again. Yeah. And like you did it. I did. So like I think for next year, obviously the podcast is like a big goal for me. This has been really fun. Thank you to everybody who's been listening. Um and it's come a long way. I'm very proud of you. Thanks. You're welcome. It's come a long way. It's been almost like a year of just Crazy. I started actually a year ago from when this episode is out. Um of just like plotting and planning to like now where we are. And we're now a weekly show. So thank you for Crazy. tuning in every week. Um and I think just like my I'm like really dedicated to like telling someone's story, but letting them tell it and giving them the platform to tell it like every week. That's really important to me. Um and in January just continue like the workout thing has been so good for my mental health like having that one hour every day I don't care like what it is that you do whether it's like reading or like writing whatever it is like that one hour has just been so helpful for me to like clear my head um and yeah just like I want to I feel like I for the past like five years I've been on like on autopilot honestly just working really hard and like trying to like get to a certain point and like this is the first month that I've like really taken that time for me and it feels great and I just want to continue to do that um I would ask you more but Joe and I actually have to go to Coalition for the Homeless and sort through gifts right now let's do it yeah for the ute thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend before you go make sure to rate review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts Spotify and at dearmedia.com And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.